All right. There we go. Now we're cooking. Going to James, the fourth chapter. Will you stand with me as we give honor to God's word? Uh, they learn to give honor to those around about them. But we need to be very careful to give honor to God's word. So we do that by standing as we read God's word. This isn't the newspaper. We're going to talk about drawing near. Draw near. Keep the campfire burning. You get the message? Keep the campfire burning. This is James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10 from the Amplified Translation. But before we do that, let's do the OSL pledge. Hmm? This is my Bible. It is God speaking to me. I am who it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. So I open my heart today to hear God speak a word to me that will change my life forever. All right, here it is. James chapter 4, Amplified Translation. What leads to strife or discord and feuds? And how do conflicts, quarrels, and fightings originate among you? Do they not arise from your sensual desires that are ever warring in your bodily members? You are jealous and covet what others have. Your desires go unfilled, so you become murderers. To hate is to murder, as far as your hearts are concerned. You burn with envy and anger and are not able to obtain the gratification or the contentment and the happiness that you seek. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. Or you do ask God for them and yet fail to receive because you ask with wrong purpose and evil, selfish motives. Your intention is when you get what you desire to spend it in sensual pleasures. You are like unfaithful wives having illicit love affairs with the world and breaking your marriage vow to God. Do you not know that being the world's friend is being God's enemy? So whoever chooses to be a friend of the world takes his stand as an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that the scripture is speaking to no purpose when it says, the spirit whom he has caused to dwell in us yearns over us and he yearns for the spirit to be welcome with a jealous love. But he gives more and more grace, power of the Holy Spirit to meet this evil tendency and all others fully. That's why he says God sets himself against the proud and haughty, but gives grace continually to the lowly, those who are humble enough to receive it. So be subject to God. Resist the devil. Stand firm against him, and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Recognize that you are sinners. Get your soiled hands clean. Realize that you have been disloyal, wavering individuals with divided interests, and purify your hearts of your spiritual adultery. As you draw near to God, be deeply penitent and grieve, even weep over your disloyalty. Let your laughter be turned to grief and your mirth to dejection and heartfelt shame for your sins. Humble yourselves, feeling very insignificant in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. He will lift you up and make your life significant.
Praise God. Lord Jesus, bless your word as we share it this morning. May it bring life into us. May we draw near to you and keep that fire burning that you've started in us, Lord, that we would be anxious to be used of God, anxious to be filled with your spirit, anxious to hear your voice, and anxious to obey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So keep that campfire burning. That's not just a cliche. Draw near. I, I am speaking today, especially to the youth uh, who've come down from a mountaintop youth camp experience. But how many of you have had a mountaintop experience in your lifetime with God? Some, some kind of special, uh, unique experience where God touched you. It was so real. It was so amazing that you didn't ever want it to end. Amen? So you've had these mountaintop experiences. So I'm not just preaching to the kids that have come back from a mountaintop experience, but to all of us that have had those times in his presence. So uh, what was different about this week? You know, you spent uh, time in the atmosphere uh, of 500 youth singing, shouting, praising God, praying for one another, being filled with the Holy Spirit. But we, meanwhile, back in the valley, back home, nothing has changed. Everything seems to remain the same. Uh, Old friends are up to their old tricks and their bad habits. And yet you've been touched by God. How do you maintain what God has done? How do you keep that going and, and build on that? Rather than just come back, because if you come back and just say, oh, that was a wonderful experience. Boy, that camp, isn't that fun? I hope I get to go to camp next year and have fun all over again. Every one of them said it was fun. But they also had a spiritual experience with God, where God touched them in a mighty way, like they hadn't received in times past. And uh, so what's camp all about? Is camp just a, a spiritual Disneyland? Is this just a place where you go and it's all hyped up spiritually and geared up spiritually and you go in and you have a great spiritual experience and come away from there and just go back to your old, same old, same old life? No, that's not the purpose of that. It is not a spiritual Disneyland, somehow the easiest or happiest place on earth to be spiritual. Camp is easy to be spiritual for some reason. It is easy when you're at camp to sing out loud and to worship God and to let the tears run down your face, to raise your hands, to, to shout, scream, and praise Him. Somehow it's much easier to do at summer camp with 500 youth doing the same thing than it is to do here in the small church locally where there's not so many and where you might be, stand out a little bit in the crowd. Did you go to Disneyland, or did you have a life-changing experience? I'll tell you what, you had a life-changing encounter with the true and living God. That, that's the only thing that can explain what happened to you. This wasn't just some trumped-up emotional experience. This was God touching your heart, ministering to you. But if that's so, how do you respond to it? How do you keep that fire burning? 
Because if you do go back to your old friends, if you go back to your old ways of life, if nothing changes in you, if you don't start new habits and new way of thinking, what happened at camp will slowly become a distant memory of, oh yeah, that was good, that was fun, that was then, and this is now. It will die out. But this is not a game. The enemy is out for blood. He is here to kill and to destroy. His goal is your death. His goal is to separate you from God. Be, make no doubt about it. That's the enemy's purpose. That's his plan. That's his goal. He knows that he's defeated. He is lost. And he wants to defeat you. And he wants you to be lost as well. Well, it's not a game. I think when I talk like that, talk about that, I think of a certain young lady that was part of Grapevine here with us. Many of you may remember her. She came broken. She was a mess. Her life was a mess. She was strung out on drugs and heroin. She was living on the streets. She was selling herself to get high. But gradually, over a period of years, she kept coming back and coming back and praying and praying and seeking God. And uh, she began to get her life clean and sober. She began to push away the things of this world. It took time. She'd make great progress and fall back. She'd make more progress and fall back. But over a period of time, as she began to grow, she managed to get herself clean and sober. And she took her daughter and packed her up and moved her off to Kansas, away from the friends, away from the trouble, away from the temptation that she had grown to know so well in the city of Las Vegas. And in Kansas, she did amazingly well. God blessed her abundantly. She went back to Kansas. She was able to get a job. She was able to get a house. She was able to uh, find a fiancé that's a man that wanted to marry her. And the world was, it was a fairy tale ending to a tragic, tragic beginning. And she was so excited and happy. And as she would send me emails from time to time, telling us what was going on in her life. And, and it was amazing when you would look at where she had been and where God took her. But because she was going to get married, her boss wanted to give her an early wedding present and gave her a trip back to Las Vegas to see her son who was in the military. She and her fiancé had expenses paid as they flew back to Las Vegas to, to meet with her son. Within 24 hours, within one single day, her old friends found her. Her old friends brought the drugs. She went back to what she had crawled out of several years earlier, but this time her body wouldn't handle the drugs, and she was dead within 24 hours of arriving in Las Vegas. Never intending to do that never believing that that would happen to her. Thanking God for all that God had done in her and for getting her life straight and clean. But I'm here to tell you, the enemy is not playing games. He is here, desperate, and he is out for blood. That's a true story, and many of you know her. Her daughter is part of our food bank to this day. Does God only live on a mountaintop? You know, Moses met God on a mountaintop. 
Moses went up on Mount Sinai and the presence of God was there so powerfully God had to cover the mountain with a cloud. The mountain shook and trembled at the presence of God and Moses was there to see it all. When Moses came down from the mountain, he was glowing with the power of God. He was glowing so brightly they couldn't even look at him. They had to put a blanket over his head because he was so brilliant they couldn't stand to be in his presence. The power of God was so strong on him. You guys have got a glow on your face. You really do. You've got a glow on your face. There's a change in your attitude. You can see it. God's done something. But you know, when Moses got to the bottom of the hill, the world was still there just as messed up as when he left it even worse. The world was not ready to receive from God. They didn't want the Ten Commandments. They didn't want to follow God's law. They wanted to go back to partying in Egypt. They wanted to go back to their playthings. How do you prevent that? How do you overcome that? What, is Camp Cedarcrest some kind of a holy place? Is that where you have to go to meet with God? Well, yes, Camp Cedarcrest is a holy place. There are pastors across this nation that will say, Oh, God touched me at Camp Cedarcrest. God ministered to me powerfully. I'm in the ministry today because of when I went to Camp Cedarcrest. I, I would say that today about Old Oak Ranch Youth Camp in Sonora, California, that, that I'm a product of having gone to youth camp there, that God touched me and ministered to me and called me in, in youth camp. So I know that's great. So do you have to go to the mountaintop in order to meet with God? Well, the answer is no. But are these camps a holy place? Yes, they are. Yes, they've been dedicated to that purpose of transforming lives. They've been sacrificed. People have sacrificed great finances and, and great energy to build these camps and make them ready and make them available, even as this congregation went to great efforts to be able to see that all of our young people could go to camp. So it is a dedicated place. It is a holy place. And it is set aside for the purpose of seeing young people come to Jesus Christ in a more powerful, dynamic way. But do we have to go to summer camp in order to feel the presence of God? You know, I, my summer camp days were 50 years ago. Actually, they were longer than that. But I still get chills just driving up the road to Old Oak Ranch. I still have an anticipation. My heart beats a little quicker as I realize I'm going to go back on what to me is holy ground. I can walk you into the building there and point to a certain spot on the floor and say, this is where I was when God spoke to me so powerfully. Call me into full-time ministry. Minister to me. I can show you the spot. So yes, that's holy ground. It's a special place. But that's not the only place that God will meet you. And that's not the only place he meets with me. No, he meets with me wherever I'll meet with him. God will meet with you wherever you will meet with him. Wherever you will set aside time and seek his face, he'll be there. Somebody said, if you're not as close to God as you once were, guess who moved? It wasn't God. You've drifted away from him. 
And so God will meet you wherever you will set aside time and begin to seek him. Let me encourage you. Establish a sanctuary. Establish a sanctuary where you can meet with God regularly. We're in a sanctuary this morning, and this sanctuary holds very special uh, memories for many, many people that God has touched here in this building and in this place. Many people that have been away from Grapevine will come back and walk through the doors and say, Wow, I feel at home. I'm just at home. This is the place where God had strengthened me and blessed me and encouraged me. So this is a sanctuary. But you need a sanctuary of your own in addition to this sanctuary. You need a sanctuary, a place where you can go to meet with God. And in order for it to be a sanctuary, you're going to have to dedicate it and separate it for that purpose. You're going to have to make a place that is special for the purpose of you meeting with God. Moses had the temple of meeting or the tabernacle of meeting in the wilderness days. There was a place where Moses went to meet with God. And when Moses went to meet with God, the whole congregation stood at their doorpost and watched Moses walk to the meeting with God, knowing that this was a sacred time, this was a special time. Moses was meeting with God. Well, you need a sanctuary where you can go and meet with God. I suppose you could set up a tent in the backyard and make that your meeting place. That would work just fine. Set something aside. It may be your bedroom closet where you can clear just enough space to get on your knees before God and close the door behind you and you can talk out loud to God and cry out to God without somebody else butting in or listening in. But it's just a secret place, a quiet place. You might need to go and set your car in a garage maybe. I don't know what it takes for you to find a sacred space all by yourself. But you need a sanctuary, young or old. You need a place where you meet with God, where God will meet you. A place that's dedicated to that in your life. Could be a special chair where you can kneel. Lately I've found for me that uh, my special place of prayer is those Friday night prayer meetings. I miss them. I need that time. I didn't get there this week uh, because of all the getting the kids back from camp and so forth. But I I miss that time with God. I need that special time. So set aside a sanctuary. Does God love you less when you're at home than he does when you're on the mountain? Well, of course not. But think about it. What's the difference? Why was there such an encouragement in spiritual things on the mountaintop and not so much here? Well, let me tell you one thing. You turned off the television set. What? You mean television is a deterrent to God? Yes! That's what I mean. Television keeps me from praying and reading my Bible? Yes! But it's only Wheel of Fortune. That's all right. You're occupying your mind with something other than the things of God. Is that that bad, Pastor Dean Willen? No, it's not bad. But if it's crowding out your time with God, it's bad. If it's taking the place of your time to read your Bible, it's bad. 
what the young people experienced was going to camp and not even having a television to worry about. Wow. By the way, when you build your sanctuary, don't build it in a place with a television set, will you? Uh-uh. Don't put a television in your sanctuary. We don't have a television in here, and we won't put one in. Put your sanctuary in a place that's dedicated to God. You kids put down your phone this week. You put down Facebook. You weren't on Instagram or Twitter. You didn't play with your iPods or your Xboxes. Oh, how much time you had to get acquainted with new friends and talk about Jesus. Establish a sanctuary where you can meet with God regularly. Choose your friends carefully. Choose your friends. I've got my notes out of order here. You got a chance to spend time with other Christian kids. And you and I get a chance to spend time with other believers. They're not perfect, but at least they're headed in the right direction. And when one of us falls, the rest of us can lift them up. And when we fall, they can lift us up. So choose your friends carefully, very carefully. You already know which one of your friends are going to lead you in the right direction. And you know which of your friends will lead you in the wrong direction, and I don't care how old you are, whether you're one of our youth campers or you're in my age bracket. You know who your friends are. And you know where those friends will lead you. You know where they're going to take you. You make the choice. Are you going to spend time with that friend that will drag you away? Or are you going to spend time with another friend that will lead you in the right direction. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A man of many companions may come to ruin. How many Facebook friends you got? Oh, how many Facebook? Oh, man, I got more Facebook friends than you. Oh, more people like me than like you. And we go on and on and on with all that foolishness trying to get their attention, trying to show them we're more important, trying to show them we're having more fun. Choose your friends carefully. Choose your friends carefully. Proverbs 18.24 says, uh, oh, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. You can be as religious, spiritual, spirit-filled as you want to be. And if you start hanging out with the wrong people, you'll discover they will corrupt. You know, there's a principle in the Old Testament, and it is an Old Testament principle, but it says if a man is ceremonially unclean, that is, he has not prepared himself to go into the sanctuary of God. So he's ceremonial unclean by what he did for a living or or what he was doing on his daily duties or whatever, there was a certain ceremony that you went through to become ceremonially clean, welcomed into the house of God. But there was also a principle that said, if a man who was ceremonially unclean brushed up against a man who was ceremonially clean, well, did the clean man make the unclean man clean? 
or did the unclean man make the clean man unclean? According to the Old Testament, it was the unclean man that contaminated the clean man. There's a principle there. You need to be careful how you walk that out. Think about that. Just the friends you choose can move you in your walk with God. Choose carefully what friends you'll have. Make Jesus your best friend. What else was different this week? Well, you prayed together. Find a prayer partner. Find a prayer partner. Somebody that you can pray with. That may not be the person you're sitting next to right now. It needs to be somebody you can confide in. Somebody that you can call up at 2 o'clock in the morning and say, I'm having trouble with this problem. I, I, I'm, I'm feeling weak and tired. I'm feeling defeated. And somebody that will stand with you and say, come on now. Come on, let me pray for you. I'm thankful. I've got my good friend, Jerry Chapman. I pastor in San Jose. But I know Jerry and I talk from time to time. But if I'm feeling discouraged, if I'm just talking to him on the phone, he'll say, you sound discouraged. Let me pray for you. And he starts in praying. And oh, if I mention a problem or a situation, he begins to pray, and the same for him. If, if I hear from him and I say, well, you don't sound good, Jerry. What's going on? Well, you know, I, I guess my diabetes is acting up. Let me pray, you know. And we pray for one another. We encourage one another. You need a prayer partner, somebody that you can get a hold of that will pray with you and that you will pray with them. Let's see, you also read your Bible this week. Well, keep that up. Keep on reading the Scripture. Keep on reading the word. And let me tell you, uh, let me steer you away from the Old Testament at the beginning. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John, John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, John, John. Then go on to Acts, Romans, and, and down the line through the New Testament. And, and read the New Testament. Find out what God is doing today. When you go back into the history of the Old Testament, that's great. But it can also be very confusing unless you understand the there, there, there's not, I don't get a lot of joy out of so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, and occupied this town and, and slaughtered these people. And, and I, There are some lessons in there, but it takes some spiritual insight to be able to receive them. So work in the New Testament. Get a good, solid foundation in, in the Gospels, in what Jesus says. So pray together. Read your Bible. Then you worship God out loud and exuberantly. Worship God. I know you worship God when you come here, but you need a place of sanctuary at home or wherever it is that you can worship God, that you could begin to sing a song. When that little melody starts coming out of you, what were we singing a while ago? I forgot the tune now. Uh, but uh, we bow down and we worship you, Lord. We bow down and we worship you, Lord. Just you, know, you could just be in your closet and begin to sing, I bow down and I worship you, Lord. I bow down and I worship you, Lord. Worship him exuberantly. Give praise, glory, and honor to his name. In fact, don't begin a prayer session with, God, I need this and God, I need that, before you start out saying, God, you're a good and gracious God. I'm unworthy, but I thank you that you've redeemed me. You know? So, worship God. You also listened to good teaching this week. We heard Marcus Ellington there preaching to you. And so you, you had some real good teaching going on that were teaching you in the direction of honor. And you responded to the move of God. Not only did you hear God's voice, 
But you said yes to God's voice. You allowed God to speak into your life. You made a decision for him. Well, all of those things you can do right here in Las Vegas, right here at home, wherever you're at. There's not one of those things that is only for the mountaintop of Cedar Crest. Those are all things that are readily available here, but you're going to have to pursue them. You see, let me tell you, parents and pastors have been plotted, plotting and planning to create a place for you to go to camp that would have all those attributes and abilities that would get you close to God. So a lot of effort and thinking has gone into that. A lot of prayer has gone into that. Now you need to come home and build your sanctuary for yourself and grow in his presence. If you'll do those things, I promise you a lifetime of joy and peace. A lifetime of happiness that you're walking with the true and living God. A lifetime of personal success. Satisfaction that you are who you are and that you're listening to God. That just comes automatically when you begin to seek God's plan and God's purpose for your life. And I can also promise you an eternity that you can't even imagine. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. We have joy and blessing. So this decision to follow Jesus pays long-term benefits. I'm talking millions of years in benefits. Blessing upon blessing. Our text today, that's just my introduction. (laughs) Our text today confirms every one of those steps to right living. In James chapter 4, verse 5 said, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Think about that a minute. God longs for you to receive and be filled with his Holy Spirit. Just like summer camp where pastors and parents have long planned a sacred sanctuary place to send our young people to receive from God in a special way, God also has planned and designed and built a place. A Holy Spirit to come and fill us and lead us and guide us. And so God the Father is longing jealously, it says. He's jealous when you give your time to Wheel of Fortune. He's jealous when you spend your time reading a trashy magazine rather than the Bible. Jealous because he longs for you to know how much he loves you and how much he's given for you. Yes, God is jealous of your time and how you spend it. Goes on to say, the spirit whom he has caused to dwell in us yearns over us. The Holy Spirit also yearns over you. The Holy Spirit longs for time to talk with you. And he yearns for the spirit to be welcome with a jealous love, amplified translation. He longs for the spirit. Did you know the Holy Spirit wants to spend time? You're not bothering the Holy Spirit when you come and pray? You're not upsetting God's schedule when you spend time and you say, Oh, Lord, come and talk to me. He's saying, I've been waiting all day. I've been hoping that you would come. I'm so glad that you're here. God yearns jealously over you to come and receive of him. Verse 6 says, He gives more grace. 
God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives more grace. In fact, uh, the Amplified says he gives more and more grace, which is the power of the Holy Spirit to meet this evil tendency. So God is so anxious to pour out his grace upon you, so anxious for you to meet with the Holy Spirit on a regular basis, so anxious for you to know his plan and his purpose in your life, so anxious to overcome the evil tendencies and all the others that are attacking us. God is anxious to work with you in that area. Don't neglect it. Verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Or, as the Amplified says it, So be subject to God. Or the message says, Let God work his will in you. I don't know which one of those makes the most sense to you, but it's simply a matter of coming before God and letting God have his way in our heart and in our life. Oh, but if I let God have his way in my heart and life, I won't have any fun. I'll I'll miss something. My my friends will will all go have a party and, and I'll miss out on something. I don't think so. I think whatever they receive is going to be something they're going to regret in the days ahead. Verse 7 goes on to say, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Stand firm against him. Resist the enemy. Yes, there are temptations in life. Yes, every one of us is facing. In fact, it's a hard understanding, but the Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way the same as you were. Hard for me to comprehend that. Jesus was tempted in every way the same as you were. And yet, he did it without sin. And so, he says, resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Say no. You go. Here's the message translation, a little more complete. So let God work his will in you. Let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil. and Watch him scamper. You don't have to put up with his nonsense. Say no. Say a quiet yes to God. He'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. And quit playing the field. Boy, what great advice. Hmm, that'd be a good assignment. Memorize the fourth chapter of James, will you? In seven different translations, because they're all good. They just keep hammering away the very thing that we need to hear. Verse 9 says... Verse 8 says, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. You don't have to go to the mountaintop. You just have to set aside a time and a place to meet with him. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Come close to God, he will come close to you, is the Amplified. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Your life will not miss anything if you don't sin. You're not going to be a stunted person or an incomplete person because you didn't go through all the activities of sin. Because you weren't a drug addict or an alcoholic or prostitute or some of those horrible things. You won't miss anything. In fact, you'll be stronger, better, freer than you've ever been. It's the enemy's game to get you tied into some of that. Resist it. Resist. Say no. 
and he'll flee from you, the scripture says. Verse 9 says, Be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom as you draw near to God. Be deeply penitent and grieve, even weep over your disloyalty. Do you know how much the wrong things you've done already grieve the heart of God? You know, God has given us such gifts, such blessings, such opportunity. And if we turn away from it, it breaks the heart of God. But he said, come back, come back. I'll restore you. I'll forgive you. There's grace upon grace upon grace. Verse 9 goes on and says, get serious. Get really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. Get serious before God. Young people, don't let this be a flash that happened on the mountaintop in some time past. A great warm fuzzy, a great feeling, a great experience to know that God loves me. That needs to be a daily experience. But I'll tell you what, if you'll pursue that, God will bless you. You will find life and life more abundantly. There is no downside to following God. There is no downside to following God. Serving Him doesn't take anything away from you. You won't miss out on any fun. That's a lie. That's a tool of the enemy of your soul. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that they may have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's God's plan for you. Jeremiah 29.11 says, I know the plans I have for you, plans for good and not for evil, plans to give you a future, plans to give you hope. God's way? Well, you all know that it's the best way. You wouldn't even argue that. But sometimes we're distracted by the things of this world. We think we have to play that game. We don't. Build yourself a sanctuary. Find yourself a prayer partner. Read your Bible. Spend time in his presence. Humble yourself before God. Seek his direction for your life and you will have life and life more abundantly. That's what you found in Christ Jesus. Don't let that fade away as some firework in the sky that's brilliant for a moment but dies out. Keep the fire burning. Keep the campfire burning. Add fuel to that fire. You know, if you enjoy a warm campfire, that's great. But if you just stand there, that fire will go out. It'll go out totally, completely. Unless you add and keep building it up. Keep adding to it. Lord Jesus, help us to continually fuel the fire that you have begun in each one of these young people, in each one of us adults, Lord, that testify that we've had high experiences before you. We've had opportunity, Lord Jesus, to be in your presence, and, and just the thought of it still brings great joy and peace to our hearts. It has stabilized us. It has strengthened us. It's a guidepost in our life today to know that God has spoken into our life, but, Lord, that we don't want that to be the end, but only the beginning. 
that we learn to walk with you daily. We learn to seek your face, that we set aside a time and a place to hear your voice, to read your word, to pray together and encourage one another. Lord, build us up in the faith. Strengthen us as your children. Lord, may we be a mighty army of God that is bound together. As the scripture says, a a three-strand cord cannot be broken. That we bind ourselves together in relationship with each other and encourage one another in spiritual things. Oh, give us prayer partners. Give us friends that will encourage us in the things of God that will lead us in the paths of righteousness, we pray. We thank you for your word. We thank you for those mountaintop experiences. But Lord, may they become everyday experiences as we meet with you face to face, day after day, and know your plan and your purpose in our life. Go with us, we pray. Help us to establish those very principles, to cling to them, and to see growth take place in our own lives as you minister to us and as you minister through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.